So I was thinking the other day about my favorite sports films. I was kind of just reflecting on them. My wife and I had just watched Remember the Titans. She hadn't seen it before. A great film. Uh, my number one film of all time, though, is, is Hoosiers, uh, starring Gene Hackman, which if you haven't seen that, please do. You're, you're missing out. But in reflecting on these two films and other sports films, I think they're great stories of teams. They are even great stories of how coaches build great teams. But they're missing out on something from that story. They're missing the real internal conflict that most coaches face. And, and remember the Titans coach Boone, who's played by Denzel Washington. I mean, he's obviously facing a lot of external forces of bringing his team together during desegregation of schools in Virginia. But we really only see a confident Coach Boone. I remember one of his favorite famous lines is, I'm a winner. I am going to win. He just portrays this confidence at all times. And Hoosiers, uh, head coach Norman Dale, I mean, he faces external pressures by parents, a lack of player buy-in, um, even dealing, dealing with some internal conflict of uh, his past and some regrets that he had there as a coach. But still, Dale is portrayed as very confident at most times. And I think Hollywood has missed, at least from my perspective, uh, they've missed out on the true story of a coach's greatest conflict. And that's the inner conflict that inevitably stirs up in every coach, every season. Those feelings of self-doubt, uh, the feelings of isolation, the feelings of loneliness, now, it has many ways of creeping into our mindset, and it affects us all in many different ways, but it is without a doubt probably the number one thing that keeps us up at night. Now, today, Nate and I, we're going to share some of our own stories, and we're also going to unpack some ways that you as a coach can deal with these feelings in a healthy manner. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast brought to you by Thrive on Challenge. I'm JP Nurbin, joined by my friend and co-host Nate Sanderson. Each week in about 30 minutes, we discuss important principles and strategies of transformational leadership. At Thrive on Challenge, we help coaches to raise the standards and strengthen the relationships in their program because we know this type of culture produces better leaders, better people, and better results. To learn more about how we can help you, go to thriveonchallenge.com, where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and get the coaching notes to every episode of this podcast. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk about some of those challenges here that you've kind of laid out in today's prologue. And in many ways, this is a response to the vast majority of correspondence that we get from coaches, whether they're in the mentorship program or not, whether they've come across your book, they've heard the podcast and they identify with maybe a new way to approach coaching, ultimately the questions that we get are often about some of the deeper-seated issues and challenges of being a head coach. And now, as the head of the Thrive on Challenge Research Department, you launched a Twitter poll here recently asking your audience to try to identify what are some of those secret challenges that we don't often talk about because quite frankly, they're taboo to talk about. We don't go to coaching conventions and bear our souls. We don't talk about these issues at parties, but they are definitely things that we wrestle with consistently. Why don't you share with the audience a little bit about what you found? Yeah, Nate, in preparation for this episode, I said I'd run a quick Twitter poll and see what 
were coaches' biggest internal struggles as a leader? Like what did they resonate with the most? And the number one thing that came up wasn't surprising to me. It was self-doubt. Like most coaches, overwhelming number, felt like self-doubt was their biggest, their biggest internal struggle. Number two was feeling isolated. And number three was anxiety to win. I think we talk a lot about anxiety to win on this podcast. I think we've heard many great coaches out there talk about the pressures to win. But something we don't talk a lot about is self-doubt, the feelings of isolation around coaching. I'm not exactly sure why that isn't such a big hot topic in coaching, but obviously it's an issue. And it was kind of one of the biggest inspirations for me to write my book, Calling Up, is to kind of tell the story, a little fable of a coach that goes through things that so many other coaches go through, because I think we need to normalize that. And I think those feelings of self-doubt, those feelings of isolation, they can be present throughout an entire season in various levels, you know? But for all of us, I think we all have those really, really like low, low moments. And for me, it was about five years ago. I remember we were midway through our season. I was coaching down in Tennessee. My wife and my daughter, I had just moved them up to Pennsylvania. I dropped them off as, as my wife had taken a job up there. And I have to finish out this season by myself as kind of like a bachelor. Um, so it's just me coaching out the rest of the year. We have one of the losingest seasons in my 10 years of coaching. And honestly, I'm experiencing lots of doubt. On top of that, I feel pretty isolated in the fact, not just because my family's gone, but because things outside of the team with parent issues, with obviously the, the amount of criticism that you get as a coach when you're losing games, that feeling of isolation was pretty, pretty intense. And so I remember leaving practice one day and it did not go well. And there were certain things that had surfaced and my inbox was full of email uh, complaints uh, from, from parents. And I remember just getting in the car and I was driving home and thinking, I should just go home, put all my bags in this car and drive the 10 hours to Pennsylvania and say, see ya. Like, I'm not the man for this job. Like, they would be better off if I just did that. I think people would be happier if I just took off and didn't come back. And these are all the stories and the things that I'm telling myself. Years later, looking back on it, I felt like I was the only person that ever felt that way. Like, I didn't realize other coaches (laughs) feel that way. But now when I look back and I I get the opportunity to talk to coaches in these low moments, their, their, their moments throughout the season, this is normal. Like this is happening everywhere, every day in coaching. And honestly, I think it's this that's pushing people out of coaching. I don't think it's the anxiety or the pressures to win. I think it is that self-doubt, that feeling of isolation that makes this profession so challenging. Well, JP, you're certainly not the only one on this podcast who has experienced those kind of feelings or those kind of situations you know, throughout our career. And when we start to examine a little bit, where does this self-doubt come from? Where do the feelings of loneliness come from? What is it that's so challenging about particularly being the head man in a program? I often think in my mind, I have this, this image of the scales. You know, when we think about balancing the scales. And on one side, you have all these weights that we have to carry. You know, on the one hand, for whatever reason, sports is a bit unique when it comes to adults working with youth. And what I mean by that is 
it's the norm, it's acceptable for people to be critical of coaches in ways that are not necessarily as acceptable to be critical of teachers or youth ministers or you know other people that are working to try to build young people into successful adults. Sports is a unique arena because obviously you and I have been Monday morning quarterbacks watching a, a, an NFL game or a soccer game or a basketball game. And it's fun to talk about what you do differently or why did the coach do that? And that bleeds down into the lower levels of coaching. It's just part of the nature of the beast. But it's a heavy burden to carry in part because particularly when things are not going well, if we were to look at the inbox of 100 random coaches and your Twitter following, the vast majority of the feedback that they're getting is going to be negative rather than positive or affirming or reinforcing. That's just a heavy burden to carry. And when we think about what balances that on the other side of the scale, when you have a healthy, vibrant culture, you're often getting reinforcement and, and positive encouragement and buy-in from your players that helps to make those weights worth carrying, if that makes sense. But too often, the silence can be deafening. And that feeling can range from, I just sort of feel like I'm taken for granted to a paranoia about what is everybody really thinking and what is everybody saying in the stands and what do my administrators really think about my performance and that unknown can drive a person crazy. And I think, JP, that's where that feeling of loneliness and the, the tendency to start doubting yourself can really set in. That's exactly it, Nate. You've hit it on the head right there because when the silence, when we don't have certain affirmations, we start to tell ourselves a story. And oftentimes that's the story of other negative experiences that we've gone through, you know, other types of criticisms that we've had to endure. So I, I can really relate to that. There's a, there's a quote from Jeff Immelt, and he was the CEO of GM for the last, I don't know, 15 plus years. He, he re resigned in 2017 and he took over for Jack Welch, who was the legendary G, you know, CEO of GM who led them to glory. And then Jack Immelt c comes in and, and he is, by many critics, you know, charged with destroying GM and destroying the, uh, the stock price. But as he was leaving, he, he said to his, uh, the new CEO coming in, he said, just remember, every job looks easy when you're not the one doing it. And, and I love that. I, I definitely resonate with that. And it's, it's really easy for people to criticize, like you said, you know, the armchair quarterback. And I think we have to have thick skins as coaches, you know, but at some stage, self-doubt creeps in when people keep telling you you're not very good at what you're doing. Like there's only so much that we can withstand. And honestly, we're probably getting in most coaches lives, we're getting more, like you said, significantly more criticism than we are getting affirmation. And, and so how we balance that out, we have to take some proactive solutions, which I think we'll talk a little bit about later. For me as a coach, I even say other areas where self-doubt creeps in for me, sometimes they're small. Like I, the story we tell ourselves when a player gives us a bad look, oh boy, she's completely checked out. She's not bought in. She's angry with me. She doesn't trust me or he doesn't trust me. Like we can start to tell ourselves a story that we haven't gained the confidence of our players. They don't trust us. And that Im immediately impacts sometimes our own confidence our own ability, just as if a player is to go out and miss three shots and we're sitting over there on the sideline going, 
oh my gosh, they, they can feel the lack of confidence because they don't feel that their teammates trust them. I think the same thing happens to us as coaches. I think what you're describing there is just, in some sense, a lack of buy-in to what we're doing, whether it's from a player's expression or a parent's email or questions from your administrator. There's always part of us, especially when we have a transformational mission that is rooted in wanting to grow people, wanting to use culture to teach lessons that are going to benefit the human being in their life beyond the game of basketball. And I think one of the things that's so hard about carrying that as a mission is that at the end of the day, too often our effectiveness or our value as a coach is simply defined as, did you win or not? Like your approach is validated by your record, period, right? And, you know, I think about, we've talked off air about Tony Bennett as an example. You know, and you look at Tony Bennett as sort of being committed to building men and having a transformational approach. And yet, what was the reaction to that approach when they're the first number one seed to lose in the NCAA tournament? It doesn't work. It's soft. You know, it doesn't work at this level. You know, you can go on and on about the, the public criticism that he endured at the end of that year. One year later, they come back and they win the national championship. And all of a sudden, now that approach is validated because they won the championship. And again, we know, and I think when your mission is centered around relationships and it's centered around those life lessons, internally, our metrics as coaches are calibrated differently than the way the world views the performance of our team. But as I've found in my experience, being more and more committed to that mission I see parents and I see players and maybe even administrators at times that say, you know, that's all well and good. Doing mental health days is fine and doing, you know, your culture stuff is fine as long as you win. If you don't win, then it's a waste of time. And even that inconsistency about what truly matters, about what our purpose really is in coaching can be grading and just so difficult to carry when not everybody is bought in to that central mission. I think that's great because I think a lot of coaches that listen to this podcast or just coaches that are seeking to be more transformational, I truly believe they're willing to surrender the results, the outcome, like they're willing to take losses. But the problem is when you have that transformational mission and you're not getting the, the validation from the wins, it becomes harder to live out that transformational mission because people aren't behind it anymore. Like you said right there, I think that's what you're getting at. And I, I just resonate with that. And so then the self-doubt doesn't just become about getting the win. The self-doubt starts to, can I build relationships? Can I get them to buy in? Can I build the right culture? So it's not just about your ability or your knowledge or of, of, as a coach. It it's really tears away. It's your ability to do everything as a coach that you really want to do, which is to, especially to live out that, that core mission of impacting their lives. And it comes back to that moment of like in the car when I'm like, I should just head on up to Pennsylvania because I'm like, I don't think I, I'm having an impact on these kids' lives right now. I don't think I'm able to live out my mission in this current environment. Everything that you just described there opens the door for questions to start rattling around in our head of, Maybe this isn't worth it. Maybe this doesn't work. 
Maybe I don't know how to reach this team. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing. You know, and those can start to snowball, especially if they're not balanced by somebody else who's helping to carry that vision forward with you, whether that's on your staff or on your team or in your marriage or your administration. You know, the more isolated we begin to feel, the harder it is to keep some of those doubts in check. I think a lot of coaches look at other coaches, those coaches that are successful. Uh, they may even look and listen to this podcast and think, oh, those guys have got it all figured out. But in my experience, I still struggle with these self-doubts as well. I know other high-level winning coaches that seem and appear to be very confident struggle with these things as well. These things are normal. They exist everywhere. Um, and I don't think anyone is, is safe from them. Now, the other thing that I think kind of goes hand in hand with this self-doubt in coaching that's so prevalent we talked about is the isolation of it. Like you start to experience these doubts. And sometimes I don't know if, if we always have someone that we can turn to that's going to support us in the way that maybe we need. That's going to help us to get back and to regain our confidence. I think so often as coaches, there reaches a point in our season where we start to wonder, Who's actually got my back? Who can I trust? So about three years ago, I wrote an article titled, The Only Two Words Parents Need to Say to Coaches After a Game. And those two words were thank you. And it was at the core of it, I was encouraging parents to be more grateful to coaches. But the thing that I think so many coaches connected with in that article was this idea that I think so many of us have experienced, which is, post-game, win or loss, not just losses, walking out of the locker room and the, the stares from the parents, the stares from players, and just the lack of support, the lack of appreciation for the energy and the investment that you're making as a coach, and just not sure if people trust you, if people are behind you as a coach to, and behind you as a leader. And that feeling of isolation being completely on an island from what is supposed to be a community, what is supposed to be a team of support, not feeling that. And I just think that's why that article was so popular uh, because coaches could really resonate. And, and in fact, not just coaches, but coaches' wives or coaches' husbands were writing in to be like, my, my, you know, my spouse has gone through those exact same thing. And at the end of the day, we just need to know that certain people have our back. I can totally identify with that, JP. I remember last year confusing my five-year-old after every game because we would walk to the utility closet and not put anything in there and not take anything out, but it would give us a reason to take the back hallway to get around to the cafeteria to meet my dad and get to my office without having to walk through the parent and player scrum in the atrium that happened right after every game. So I wouldn't have to do the walk of shame that you're describing right there. And I think, you know, as we start to, talk about some solutions and some proactive ways to try to insulate ourselves from some of these self-doubts and isolation. You know, the first thing that I would, I would say, JP, is that we really have to be deliberate about hiring a board of directors. And, and what I mean by that is that there have to be people that are around us, whether they're on your staff or it's your spouse or it's friends in the profession or it's former players, or it's just friends that are outside of your circumstance that one, you're going to be able to go to when you're bruised and you're beaten a little bit and you're a little bit muddy 
and just allow you to decompress, you know, and accept where you are and the things that you're struggling with and give you a chance to, to vent and not feel judgment, you know. And, and I think the second side of that is if you have people on that board of directors that understand what that's like, you know, and I think that's been part of the power of the mentorship program here at Thrive on Challenges. You and I have both been head coaches for decades and we've experienced the paths that our coaches are walking through, but having somebody that, that in some way can empathize in ways that an assistant coach might not be able to, your spouse might not be able to, but somebody that's gotten those emails, those text messages, you know, that has been in those parent meetings and just can know the depth of what that feels like can be incredibly important. And, and for me, JP, you know, I've, I've talked about Coach Mattis before on the podcast, I think, but when I first went to Linmar, you know, we come off a couple state championships. I'm probably the most confident coach in the world that what we're doing is the right way to do it. And it's going to work anywhere. And we go into this new position and we go three and 19 in my first year. And we had a really good culture for the most part, but again, we didn't have validations from our record. And one of my coaches from Springville, Coach Mattis, who played for me and then coached with me for three years when she came over, you know, was with me every day in the gym. And I, I remember telling Mattis at the end of that season that the greatest gift that she gave to me as a coach was not her understanding of the offense or the defense. It wasn't her ability to connect with players. It was the daily reminder. Every time I saw her in the gym, I was reminded of what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a program that produces great people. And Mattis is an unbelievable person. She's the product of being in our program for four years as a player and three years as a coach and watching her interact with other people, watching her teach the game, um, listening to the way that she would encourage players and encourage coaches was a reminder that what we do works. And it was evident in the person that we had in the gym with, with Mattis on our staff. And to me, that daily reminder of this is your mission and it works was probably the, the greatest benefit that we had when she was on our staff. When I, when I started Thrive on Challenge a little over four years ago, I didn't really know what it was going to be, but I just knew through my experience of, of, of writing a few articles and sharing my story with other people that coaches needed support and coaches needed solutions. And so whenever I kind of do a review of just, okay, how can I continue to grow what I'm doing through Thrive on Challenge? Yes, I love to create podcasts. I, I love writing. It's a passion of mine. I try to provide value for coaches through, through like the courses. But at the real core of it for me is the opportunity to provide that support throughout a season for a coach, for a coach at, through those struggles to help them to provide solutions I think so often as coaches, we feel like we're drowning. And, and sometimes I try to see myself as that person that's on the side of the, just cheering them on. You can make it. You can make it. Keep swimming. Keep swimming. But sometimes I've actually got to sit there and I got to throw in the life buoy or I got to jump in there and, and help bring them along. I think that we need someone like that. And so I think w wherever you are in coaching, whatever your situation, if you can find someone outside of your circumstances, that's not just going to be an encourager but someone that's actually going to be intentional and helping you to find solutions, that's really important because I just know that I've had a lot of people in my corner over the years and I don't want to discredit. And some of my moments of isolation, 
And some of my moments of self-doubt, I had people, I had my wife, I had family members, and I had people in my community that said, hey, we believe in you. But there's something different when they're really invested and they really understand and they've walked that journey as a coach. They've been in that situation. And sometimes they can throw you a bit of a, a life buoy to help kind of bring you to shore so you can keep on going. As we get ready to wrap up this episode, there's two other things that I would add for coaches. You know, when you're going through those seasons of self-doubt and of loneliness or just struggling with the pressure to, to win and perform on the floor, I remember, you know, sitting in my office my first year at Linmar when we were really struggling, particularly the first half of the season, and just, you know, staring at the wall, you know, in the dark after a game and just thinking, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing here, right? And all those doubts and all the loneliness and all the things we've talked about in this episode are just flooding in. And I just remember, you know, a thought kind of piercing my mind or, or my thoughts that just said, you're here for these kids. As long as they'll have you here, you're here for these kids, you know, and, and being rooted in our why, you know, and it goes back to our conversation about being a transformational coach. I think, as you mentioned, there's a lot of us that would sacrifice the outcome for impact. And if you're in that place and you're in a place of struggle, to just cling to your why, whether it's in journaling or meditation or prayer or whatever it might be, to, to really be rooted in our purpose, even when things are at their hardest. JP, the last thing that I would add is just something that's given me uh, some comfort over the years, you know, when you're going through those difficult times, is that I, I think there's a certain peace of mind with knowing that you did the best you could with what you knew at the time. And, and every time that we're making an in-game decision or we're choosing lineups or we're picking teams, we're, we're always operating from a place of incomplete information. And there's a certain amount of trust that we just have to have with ourselves that we're trying to do the best we can given the information that we have. And when we look back in retrospect, as the critics often will do, it may be easy to pinpoint a bad decision or a place where you didn't know enough or a place where you were misinformed. But in the moment, we didn't have that information accessible to us to make a better decision. And so when we talk about transformational coaches in some ways having to surrender the outcome, I think as a general rule, we have to surrender the outcomes even when it comes to our job. If we're committed to our why and we're just having the confidence that we're making the best decisions we can with the information we have, it may mean it doesn't work out and it may mean that we get moved on, you know, and that happens to coaches in our audience as well. But there's some peace that comes from knowing we did the best we could in those moments. So my biggest hope, if you've listened to today's episode, is that if you struggle with self-doubt or feelings of isolation, that you know you are not alone. I really just want to normalize these feelings uh, as I've been privileged to walk with dozens and dozens of just great leaders, great coaches who struggle with these feelings daily. Now, whether you're a new listener to the podcast or a frequent listener, I just want to share one more thing about myself with you. Back in 2017, I left teaching. Right? Something that I was passionate about and something that I did enjoy, but I left it because for some reason I felt called to support coaches and to help provide solutions to their many challenges. Uh, hopefully this podcast does just that for you. But I also work full-time to provide things beyond this podcast and I hope you will check them out. My online courses, uh, they're there to educate and help you and your staff uh, learn and implement 
some really essential systems to build your culture. Uh, My book, Calling Up, I think it's pretty unique in that it does unpack many of the feelings that we discussed today, um, but also provides some practical solutions. So I hope you'll check that out. And most importantly, as I said in the podcast, we support coaches through our mentorship program and our community of coaches, which, listen, I, I know it's not for everyone, but we do want to make you aware of it. And if it is something you're interested in, the first step is just to set up your initial call with us. So either Nate and I can learn a little bit more about you um, and if the program, the mentorship program is the right fit for you. Uh, like I said, it's very different and unique. Um, but if any of these resources interest you or sound valuable, head on over to thriveonchallenge.com. You can learn more about them uh, there. Otherwise, uh, we hope you will continue to listen to this podcast and just share it with others.